Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's Yeah. They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 the foul. Boom, 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 the yellow card. Nah, that's actually don't say. I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you shorty man? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast Bank Holiday Monday 2016 A somewhat important date in the history of the Irish Republic You know why, Ken? Why is that? Well, because Martin O'Neill's boys are just one day away from their second warm-up friendly for the European Championships Absolutely, against Slovakia Yeah Uh, Well, uh, I mean, a good result on Friday Maybe not a good game, but a good result You take that in the European Championships Let's be fair about this there won't be any good games between now and the European Championships there's no such thing well maybe actually England put a lie to that yeah. I was going to say there's no such thing as a, an exciting pre-tournament friendly yeah oh uh, don't worry we're going to we're going to hail Roy Hodgson's boys Richie on Thursday was talking quite a lot about the goalkeeping situation mm. and Shea Given is still not available for this game tomorrow night uh, which is unfortunate for him but he has been making some media or certainly one media appearance yeah, um, well, it turns out that Jack Butland, um, who has who's been obviously Stoke's number one goalkeeper, uh, and was playing for England against Germany uh, on Saturday, has broken his ankle, uh, which means that Shay Given's clubmate, but no, rather Jack Butland's clubmate Shay Given mm-hmm. at Stoke, um, decided to call into Sky Sports News to uh, commiserate with his teammate. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Sky Sports News. I mean, it's not it's not unknown for players to call in sometimes and put them put them straight on air. How beast is he? But just how how big a blow is this for uh, Jack? Uh, it's an absolutely massive blow for Jack, but it's an opportunity for myself as well. But I'd like to wish him all the best with his injury, and uh, let let's see what the future brings. Okay, Shay. Um, thanks very much for joining us on the line tonight. Uh, we will. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. I like the way fake Shay Given spoke like uh, he would think a professional footballer would speak in this situation. Just yeah. some platitudes. He didn't seize the opportunity to say anything remotely unusual. Literally every word out of his mouth could could pretty much have come from that of Shay Given, but for the fact that it so clearly wasn't him. Mm. Um, just to actually to call up and to say something that dull, that studiously dull. <laughs> this is your dull. moment. You've managed. You've, you've burst through the cordon of on-air security on Sky Sports News. Well, obviously, it's a blow for Jack, but obviously, <laughs> obviously it's an opportunity for myself. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, nice reaction from the presenter as well, who surely is having some doubts about whether or not that actually is Shea given there that he's speaking to. But he continues on seamlessly nonetheless. The classic of this genre is the prank call during the O.J. Simpson car chase uh, back in 94. Do you remember this? I didn't remember this, Owen. I had, I had not had the pleasure. Well, ABC's Peter Jennings... Do you, you remember the TV coverage of it? It was crazy. It was, like, there was, this, it was this live national and international event, and there was actually a big... Um, there was a big NBA, NBA Finals game was on, and NBC had to or ABC had to decide to cut in and out of the live coverage of the game, with, to show the OJ Simpson car chase, which pissed a lot of sports fans off, mm. uh, a lot of a lot of basketball fans, until they realised the sheer drama of what they were seeing with OJ Simpson. Anyway, at this stage, it, it, it OJ's still in his white Bronco at his at his house. If you remember, he was out there for a considerable amount of time. Uh, as they were trying to coax him in, in a very uh, pre- precarious situation. This is Peter Jennings describing the scene. We have on the phone with us as well Robert Higgins, who lives in the neighborhood and is on the ground and can see inside the van. Mr. Higgins. Uh, yes, uh, how are you? Uh, just about as tense as you are, sir. Oh, my Lord, this is quite the tensest. What can you see? Oh, what I'm looking at right now is I'm looking at the van and I see OJ kind of slouching down, looking very, very upset. Now, look at here. He looked very upset. I don't know what he going to be doing. Can you, can, you, can you see him doing anything specific? Is he merely sitting there? He is just uh, sitting around, you know, just uh, looking like he'd be very nervous. Thank you, Mr. Higgins. And Baba Booey to y'all. The driveway of O.J. Simpson's home in Brentwood, in the doorway of the house. Peter, by the way, just for the record, this is Al Michaels. That was a totally farcical call. Uh, lest anybody think that that was somebody who was truly across the street. That was not. Uh, he, he said something in code at the end that's indicative of uh, the mentioning of the name of uh, a certain radio talk show host. Okay, thanks, Al. So he was not there. All right, we have them on every coast. Thank you very much. Not the first time nor the last time will have been had, but if... The police do get their hands on OJ. Now that's broadcasting, Ken. Yeah. Sure, Peter Jennings was hoodwinked. Tone literally does not deviate <laughs> one fraction. Just, uh, yeah, I've seen it happen before and it'll probably happen again. He, it doesn't even deviate when Al Michaels comes in and essentially... That was a totally farcical call. Are you not going to say something else, Al? You know, how, how long is this pregnant pause going to continue? <laughs> yeah, what he's thinking is, screw you, Al. What he says is, thank you, Al. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Howard Stern, if anyone's interested in the radio host, it was a Howard Stern phrase, apparently. But uh, I think Howard Stern's had enough publicity over the years, probably. So let's get into the report on sport. So uh, I guess we will start with the events on, on Friday night. So it's with some game. It's a good game for the first 20 minutes. And... It was, uh, you know, Ireland started really well, um, kind of ripped into Switzerland and had scored almost immediately. A good link up between Robbie Brady and Shane Duffy on the set piece. Shane Duffy, you could see, screaming at Brady, do not, do not play this corner short. And uh, the corner went long and got a good header and then Clark was able to divert it past the goalie. So it was a great start. And then... That was before the game had even had time to settle down. So then you could see Arnold were playing 4-4-2. Kevin Doyle was playing, which was a bit of a surprise. Kevin Doyle actually played pretty well. Um, you know, Very well, I thought, yeah. Yeah, he was, you know, he, he it was kind of a real workman-type role 
that he had. You know, it was like, you are the first defender. Get out there, chase people around, put get blocks in, the ball block off their, you know, passing, make it difficult for them. And that's what he was doing. And, you know, I suppose he's better at that part of the game than necessarily the sort of real, you know, finesse part, the finesse goal scoring part. He's he's better maybe at the working, selfless devotion to the team part. Uh, so selfless was his devotion uh, that he ended up uh, sustaining a horrible injury uh, in a physical clash with one of the Swiss defenders and had to be carted off with uh, what turned out only to be a very bad cut uh, when it looked as though maybe he'd broken a, an ankle or something. In fact, just had had uh, cut himself really badly. So hopefully not an injury that's going to rule him out of the Euros. I mean, yeah, I mean, because when he was going off, kind of looked at it thinking he might not be back. This might be the last we see of Kevin Doyle. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. That's, well, certainly, I was thinking, yeah, he'd be out of the Euros. He was getting applauded by the by the crowd who were kind of, oh, that looks that doesn't look good. But, okay, it was a, obviously a nasty injury, but hopefully one that he can recover from. It seemed to take a bit quickly. of the sting out of the game. That's what the suggestion on TV. That was the case in the ground, yeah. Yeah, it, because first of all, the game was stopped for, you know, four minutes. And then when it, re- when it resumed, it was as though everyone had kind of forgotten, oh, you know, we have to start this again. What, what exactly were we doing? And couldn't really get much impetus into it. And you kind of got the feeling a lot of the players didn't want to join Doyle on a stretcher. And that it was, yeah, at that stage they were like, well, we've, we've probably done enough here. So everyone had to say. I mean, there was, a lot of, there was still a big crowd there. there was, I think the crowd was around 35,450. There was loads of people there. Well, yeah. Um, no doubt a number buttressed by... The availability of mm. booze at the ground. Oh yeah, was, I've I've never seen people drinking so enthusiastically at a game. <laughs> I mean, I was there. I, I sent. I was sit, still sitting in my seat until like five to ten. So it was like fifteen twenty minutes after the game stopped, and then left there and went to, to go down to you know the mix zone. Uh, and when I came, when I sort of walked back into the what do you call it concourse area? So mm-hmm. no. Yeah, in, inside course. the stadium, uh, where the bar where the bar is, there was still thousands of people all there, uh, drinking. You know, drinking beer out of their plastic cups. Still, like, where's where's usually at that stage after game? That area is pretty much deserted. We probably need. We possibly should explain this for our non-Irish listeners mm. that the, of course, usually there is alcohol available uh, at games. There was nothing unusual. Friendly about. games, yeah. Uh, I don't know if there. I games. don't know if there is at UEFA matches. I'm not one hundred percent sure. Oh no, you can get a pint. Yeah, just you can't can bring you? it out to your. Oh, you can't. You, you, you can get it, well, but you, you can't. Yeah, you can't bring it out. But the I could be correct on that. If anyone wants to correct me, I'm not sure. I don't drink at the. At, at You're any constantly Ireland working. Matches. You're always working. Uh, but yeah, sorry. It was Good Friday last Friday. Uh, good Friday being <laughs> the one day of the year in uh, well Christmas Day, I guess. I mean, the pubs are closed on Christmas Day. Yeah. So Christmas Day and Good Friday. Are the two days where you can you, well you can't drink you can, although it turns you can out, buy a drink on Christmas Day though surely if, if you can find yeah. somewhere that's open every, there's no rule against it every Good Friday it seems more and more strands seem to emerge that offer you the chance to, I, I always just thought there was a blanket ban I didn't realise that actually you can drink in hotels if you're staying at the hotel mm. you can famously you can drink at train stations as long as you bought a ticket oh for, right yeah yeah so now I've never tested the theory I've never gone to a train station on Good Friday I imagine it's Carnage. Okay, I can only I can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, football grounds, greyhound tracks, that kind of thing. You can go to Shelburne Park or 
wherever around the country and get yourself a couple of drinks there. Yeah. Or you could just not, not drink for a day. You could just, you know, move on with your life. Mm. Um, I don't know under what... Yeah, is it is it generally the rule for football grounds? I, I thought maybe it was John Delaney's hosting private party for thirty five thousand people. Um, you know, and it's the Munster had a game on Good Friday years back, and they there was a big rigmarole over. It was a pretty big match. Could have been the Munster Lancer or something like that. There was a pretty pretty massive rigmarole over the essentially the drinks lobby down there lobbied for. Oh, that wasn't just at the ground. I think they they could have got some bars open around the ground as well. The all par- the all powerful drinks lobby again managed to uh, anyway. Speaking of rigmarole, actually, there was there was, there was um, a lot of pre match ritual uh, included a um, reading from the proclamation by six like schoolboys dressed as nineteen sixteen rebels, complete with wooden rifles. <laughs> um, it's quite difficult to hear what they were saying actually, because when six schoolboys talk at the same time, unless they're very very well drilled. Uh, oftentimes they just end up sort of not quite saying the words at the at the right time. When you combine that with the stadium echo, it was a somewhat uh, a kind of a confusing babble of voices. Um, but they looked the part, is what you're saying. Well, they, they had their wooden. They rifles. were in costumes. Yeah, they uh, they did. Uh, uh, but you know, after after the game, all these people drinking. I mean, I remember I went, I went so I went down to the mix zone. Who was in the mix zone? You know, there was Randolph. Randolph was quite quite amusing. <laughs> He was like, yeah, um, I mean, there wasn't really much to say to him in, in some ways because he hadn't really had anything to do, you know. And then it was the usual kind of, oh, West Ham, you're playing. He's like, well, it's, it's good that we've had so many cup games, you know. I mean, I kind of feel as though I've actually played quite, quite a few matches. You know, I'll be playing again against Man United. Um, and uh, <laughs> somehow, and then he was kind of asked about, it, it's a bit different now. O'Neill uh, and Trapattoni, they have slightly different approaches. Like with Trapattoni, everybody knew the team a year in advance. With O'Neill, he's fostered a kind of a sense of competition. You know, there's a lot of players in the squad, but people feel as though they have a shot. You know, and he was like, yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't want to say anything, obviously, negative about Trapattoni, really. Then someone said, oh, well, the difference is, I suppose, Martin knows your name. And Randolph said, yeah, that is a difference. Uh, He doesn't call me keeper, (laughs) uh, which apparently Trapattoni was doing. I mean, Randolph, what was Randolph coming for, like, two years? (laughs) <laughs> Tony was calling him keeper, <laughs> so you know that's there. There is a kind of uh, an element of, you know, it's not as though any of these players are particularly important to Martin O'Neill. None of them are allowed to feel as though they're indispensable. But at the same time, there is a kind of a baseline respect of that he probably could identify them if put on the spot. Would you? Is it more insulting to be called keeper, a generic term like that? By Trapattoni, or say have your name be, be called the wrong name Colin. as Jack Charlton used to forever do with his players. Um, I think probably keeper. I mean, because it's more, it's just obvious that the only reason you're saying that is because you don't know my name. Yeah, with Char- with Charlton, it was like, okay, he probably knows my name. He's just, he's just he gets mixed up a bit. This guy, it's fine. It's he, no big deal. He could he, he's picking me. me. Yeah, but with Trapattoni, he genuinely just had no idea. Doesn't care. Doesn't really care what your name is. Yeah. Um, Coming out, uh, who else was there? Duffy, Brady. Um, you know, the players all seemed reasonably happy. With it. I remember leaving the ground then, and there was all fights outside. You know, there was like, yeah, there's like drunk people fighting each other, and police kind of arriving and like, oh, it's, you know, there's no more of that now. And the police had a pretty, were taking a pretty kind of liberal approach to it. Like, I didn't see them really. Um, they they kind of seemed to be 
trying to separate the warring groups, then kind of releasing them back into the wild, you know. Uh, but this kind of this sort of stuff went on. Like I was walking to the street and I could see it. And you know when you walk up, um, is it Bath Avenue? I forget. The, is it Shelburne Road or whatever? The, the road that goes down, you know, from from like Slattery's down past TV, but down towards yeah. Um, and there's at one point there, there's like a, a like a gate or like a fence yeah. where you can look through. It's like quite a long little stretch of fence. You, the stadium is in behind it, uh, and a concourse. There's a there's a, def, a definite concourse in behind there, uh, and the street is on the other side. And I was walking up on the street side, and there was a policeman standing there, and I could see that the policeman was being abused by people on the other side of this fence, right? He obviously felt pretty safe, and. Uh, and the policeman's like, "What are you? Get out! Get out of that! Stop doing that!" And I could see it was a bunch of Ireland supporters uh, urinating on on mass, <laughs> urinating on mass in a, in a public place, which they're not supposed to do. Although, I mean, you know, which of us hasn't been caught short? There was a photograph going around on social media yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. A member of Ongarda Shiakana, no. who maybe had been at his post. He he maybe had been forced to be at his post for. You know, an inhuman period of time. You know, overseeing this great national celebration that we were having, and he was caught. He was caught by a call of nature, and just the way it is now, people take photographs of these things and then they put it on social media. You know what I mean? The the people the people uh, behind the fence on Lansdowne Road then realised their advantageous position over the guard, and started you know taunting him, and he was shouting back at them, "You're too old to be. You're too old to be acting like that." You're told to be doing that kind of thing. And the people realizing his powerlessness to do anything just continued to shout abuse and, and taunt the guard. So that was sounds like, an, sounds like a pretty grim atmosphere outside the stadium. That was how it that was that was how the night unfolded on. Right. It was uh you know, the the people uh, the people were happy, I suppose. Well we move on to England because we're gonna get Emma Malone in studio shortly. Emmett's been good enough to pop in on this uh, this historic bank holiday. Well, what better day to discuss the um, burgeoning fortunes of the English national team <laughs> uh, under Roy Hodgson, uh, a coach who some would describe as conservative, but not him, not uh, he himself. Uh, not at all, says Roy Hodgson. Unfortunately, I don't know where I got it, but at some stage I was told I was conservative in some way, and that will stay with me for the rest of my life. I don't have it in Italy, I don't have it in Switzerland, just in England. I believe that's what's said. It's not true in my opinion, and certainly I've never felt that way. I've worked for one or two teams, of course, where we've been nowhere near as good as the opposition. We've been put onto the back foot. But whenever I've had the team that has had the ability to take control of the game, take the initiative and take the game to the opposition, all of my teams have done that. So, 3-2 um, win against Germany and Berlin, where England's record is six wins and three draws and no defeats. <laughs> undefeated weird. in Berlin. <laughs> um, They've stormed Berlin again. Many, repeatedly. Many times. Um, and England have a pretty useful team at the moment. Yeah, there's no, there's no two ways about this. You know, if you could look at them defensively and say, not really sure that this is a top quality team in the defensive sense, but look around the rest of Europe. Is anybody? Does anybody have a really convincing defense in the European Championships? I'm not sure. I don't really see an outstanding defensive team uh, in Europe. I mean, Ireland are one of the best defensive teams. Ireland's defensive record is ridiculously good um, when you look. Uh, at the European qualifying campaign. We were in a group as well that had most of the top scorers, you know, Lewandowski, Muller, guys like this. 
and uh, conceded very few goals. There's some kind of a weird chemistry there that nobody can quite figure out what it is. It doesn't seem to matter who who the goalkeeper is, is who, who the central defenders are. Ireland have been on a very good run lately of not letting in uh, goals. England, uh, though, have have got a pretty good attacking unit. It's like no Steven Gerrard anymore telling everyone how miserable their summer is going to be. <laughs> you know, if they if they fail, uh, no Wayne Rooney. You know, just pointlessly lumbering about. Like, what is it that he's supposed to do anymore? You know, he he's not really. What does Rooney do now? You know what I mean? Is he he doesn't press? He's got no speed. What's his role in a team that's trying to play this type of football? When it was Harry Kane, Deli Ali, even Adam Lallana, you know, these are players who uh, can actually make it difficult for their opponents. You know, Rooney is is kind of standing there sweating waiting for his team to get the ball back and maybe it'll come to him. But Kane and Ali and Lallana and, and Vardy when he came on are, you know, it's it's like they're kind of, they, they're maybe a little bit uncontaminated by this sort of sense of doom, this creeping doom that, you know, I mean, the, the, the evolution of the English, the England national team or the mood surrounding it over the last 15 years is really quite interesting. I mean, they, I think the, 2006 is, marks the end of the old school English we're going to win the World Cup or whatever the tournament happens to be. Like they, they had gone to the previous tournaments expecting to win. Mm. To the World Cup in 2006. We can, we can win this. Maybe not expecting, but, re, but believing that they had a realistic chance. Year 2006 or World Cup 2006, Year 2004, World Cup 2002, all of those tournaments they thought, you know, we've got a pretty good useful team here. And since then, it hasn't been that way. You know, they didn't qualify in 2008. 2010, there was a real sense of we're, we're not really going to achieve anything. 2012, it was we are, we're atrocious. 2014, it was, there was literally no, I mean, Roy Hodgson was getting, you know, seven and a half out of 10 for getting knocked out in the group stage. You know, it was like, Roy's done well. You know, that's how, that's how beaten down the English football nation became, you know, how, how we're just giving up. We're just, we can't do it anymore. Suddenly they've got actually a sort of a decent team again. Yeah. Um, low expectation. Uh, a lot of the older players who are ingrained in habits of failure, not there anymore. Now, Hodgson is saying uh, that Rooney will be straight back. Uh, although you wonder, is Rooney going to be a, a little bit like Robbie Keane and non-starting captain? at this tournament. Harshan says, Wayne, I repeat, is our captain. He has captained the team extremely well these past two years and has taken us through a qualifying campaign where we had complete success, 10 wins out of 10. So it doesn't please me too much when it's suggested that the moment he gets injured and doesn't play, he deserves to be jettisoned in some way. He certainly doesn't deserve that. And when he comes back and is fit again, he's going to be putting enormous pressure on these players, just as these players have been putting enormous pressure on him. Well, Harry Kane has to, is obviously starting. Mm. In, in the in the Euros. Mm. So where does Rooney fit in around Harry Kane? I don't see that he does. I don't see that that Rooney fits in. Um, you know, it's it's like England were playing four one two three. That was their formation. Um, where does Rooney fit in that system? He doesn't. You know, Rooney could Rooney could play behind the striker, but there is no behind the striker player in that system. You've got two midfielders who run hard. 
you know, ahead of a defensive midfielder who is helping the defense. You've got wingers who are. It's a. It's it's all about pressing. The formation is all about being mobile. It's all, you know you can't have any passengers. Hodgson, remember the guy who describes himself as not a conservative coach, picked Rooney um, in the World Cup. Remember he played him on the left against Italy. It was kind of like I've got to try and get him in the team. How will I get him in the team? You know, literally, uh, he was picking Rooney based on his, you know, the fact Stature. that he was Rooney, yeah. Um, which is conservatism. You know, it's it's like, well, you know, uh, maybe I've got other players who are in form and, you know, maybe other systems might seem to suit better the players I've got. But on the other hand, he is Wayne Rooney, you know, and and class is permanent. You know what I mean? That's a kind of a, that is a conservative way of, of thinking. You know, the, 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 the not conservative approach would be to say, Rooney has scored a lot of goals for England. He's, you know, he's a guy with a with a big reputation, but he's not playing particularly well. And other players are playing better. Therefore, you know, let's put him on the bench. Yep. So we'll see. Um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll see how, how it goes with them. There was there was obviously other big international football matches on over the weekend. There was um, Brazil against Uruguay. Uh, Brazil were two nil up. And ended up drawing 2-2. This was Luis Suarez's return to international football. And he did score eventually. David Luiz not having a great game uh, for Brazil. But what happened uh, involving Suarez over the last... You know the website Football Leaks? Football Leaks has now published his um, the, the contract governing his transfer from Liverpool to Barcelona. It's quite interesting, actually, because in view of the fact that Liverpool, having told everybody that it was a £75 million, Pound fee. In fact, it was sixty-five or sixty-four thousand nine hundred eighty thousand, uh, which, which, at the time of the deal, was eighty-one million euros. Five installments of uh, five installments of about thirteen million pounds was the way it was uh, structured. The last of those will be thirty-first July, twenty sixteen. Um, pretty good deal for Barcelona, really. Yeah. When you look back on it. Um, uh, Liverpool got done a little bit, I guess, on the on the deal. Well, there was the sense at the time that it could be a risk. It could be a risky signing. This is Suarez was in full. Wasn't he post bite mode? No, and he was. He was banned. He, he was banned for biting. Uh, oh yeah, he was still a Liverpool player when he was banned for biting in the World Cup. But everyone knew Barcelona were in the process of signing him, hmm. and uh, they still went ahead and did that. So I do remember there was a, there was a bit at the time about well, maybe Liverpool are doing well to get rid of him now for a massive amount of money. Mm. Uh, given that he's this, not that massive problem. though. You know, when you consider, um, you know, when you consider the kind of quality of player that they lost, how how do you replace that player? You know, it's like uh, you get the money, but then if you had, if you know what I mean, the player you've just sold is the player that you would buy. You know, <laughs> it's like the, the same <laughs> the same thing with Sterling. Like you've got forty nine million pounds now, but. You know, what do we, want from that? we want a bright young English player. Exactly. You know, so <laughs> comfortable on the ball. Um, Last what story. Else? Yeah. Um, just Pele, actually, just to mention Pele. France football were mentioning that uh, it's a pity that Pele wasn't available for the Ballon d'Or because he obviously the Ballon d'Or used to be the European Footballer of the Year, um, and was you were only I think it was until 1995. I think George Weah is the first non-European to win it. It was eventually broadened out to be, you know, all players playing in Europe. Mm. And uh, uh, they announced, essentially, Pele obviously never won this uh, this prize, which Lionel Messi has won now five times. Uh, but France Football have, have said that if he was, if he had been eligible, he would have won seven. 
Uh, he would have won it in 1958, 59, 60, 61, 63, 64, and 1970, um, which would have taken Ballon d'Ors away from Raymond Copa, Alfredo Di Stefano, Luis Suarez, the other one, Omar Sivri, Lev Yashin, Dennis Law, and Gerd Muller. All of them would have not have... Uh, have made it to the top of the mountain. So we'd be smirching the names of all these great men for the sake of giving Pelé seven seven uh, hypothetical Ballon d'Ors. Thanks for that, Kenner. And Randolph sends it long. That's his kind of Shane Long's in behind the defence. Shane Long against Meyer. Magnifique! Porté par un public en liesse, l'Irlande peut croire à l'exploit grâce à son super sub, Shane Long! Shane Long! Bah. What a moment! Shane Long! On oh, the lead! Emmett Malone, thanks very much for making it in the bank holiday. That's a pleasure. We appreciate you making the effort to. Uh, squad situation now after the, the we'll get we'll get talk a little bit about the game on yeah. um, Friday night but um, it's kind of moved on at this stage and the current squad now we seem to have about 13 midfielders and one striker a little bit like Germany now but maybe not in the way that we yeah, intended a little bit like a little bit like Germany <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, did it, how did it come about to 12 of our 12 of our midfielders can play off a striker but uh, yeah uh, yeah we only we only seem to have one at this stage yeah I think um, O'Neill has been relaxed enough about it in that he seems to have let a couple of players go a couple of strikers go that might otherwise have been kept had, 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 uh, had the stakes been a little bit higher but yeah we're down to uh, Shane Long at this stage um, uh, he's, he's struggled probably to get the game time in the, in the team over the course of the campaign that he uh, that that he's wanted. He's talked about getting his chance and um, and showing again what he can do. Uh, I think he said last week that he uh, always he, he felt it was a little bit of a victory when he was walking out on the pitch to start with. And um, I think we can take it for granted he'll be enjoying that little bit of a victory tomorrow night. Does it show up though? A uh, lack of depth in that area. Were yeah, we to sure. get a couple of if even if there were two of these players that are out at the moment injured for because the, yeah. the, the kind of names that are well, sure. what names are even popping up as as possible well I mean I mean you have to assume that the the the, the, the players that are named in, in O'Neill's initial expanded squads or even more expanded squads because for all the players we've lost at this stage we're still in the high 20s um, of players but you have to assume I think that the players who are making the kind of initial squads mm. of 40 are next in line and if that's the case then then our next two in line are, are, are Simon Cox and, and Anthony Stokes who, who, who can certainly play up there I know it's not his only position but um, and really uh, you get the distinct impression as with O'Neill's as far as I'm aware unless something has changed overnight um, that he hasn't opted to call either of those in and, and I think it shows the distance he sees between the five or so strikers that he, that he actually brings in on a regular basis um, and, and the next in line but the reality is that Shane Long is the, is the youngest of those five um, we have uh, they range in age from 29 which is Long up to 35 which is Robbie Keane and, um, and I think of, of even of, of those five increasingly I mean we've seen with, with Keane since the first half against Georgia when he didn't really make much of an impact uh, he has featured for about uh, just over half an hour since in competitive games. So I think we do see him drifting out of things slightly, but there's nobody to to, to, to really take either his place or, or Kevin Long's in, in the squad. Uh, or Shane Long's, yeah. Or Kevin Doyle's. Kevin Doyle's, Kevin Doyle's, Kevin Doyle's, Doyle's sorry, sorry, yeah. Sorry. The, um, 
The key issue is something that we is barely even mentioned, really, because everyone knows he'll be picked in the squad, sure. and everyone assumes he probably won't start the games. Sure. Or if we do assume that, but surely if he is in the squad, we need him as fit and sharp as possible in an international context. Yeah. Is it not a bit of a concern there that he's missed a lot of football? I know O'Neill sort of mentioned the fact that these long distance flights probably don't help recovering from injuries when he's coming over from LA. If we are going to have Robbie Keane there, we could certainly do it him playing at least a little bit against yeah. Holland or whatever, whenever he can play. Yeah, we could do. I presume at that stage he'll be kind of quite focused on, on, on you know, the whole international thing and proving his fitness for the, the games over there. We're likely to have, I think it's going to be Belarus down in Cork as well. So there'll be a couple of opportunities for, for him to do something at that stage. It, uh, this one was a strange one, really, for O'Neill. He had su- suggested, and for Robbie Keane, for, he had suggested initially that he was going to bring Kevin Doyle across so that he could play a bit and hopefully kind of, you know, make a bit of a case for his inclusion in the squad because I think he is, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the most shaky of, of, of the established strikers in terms of his place uh, for the championships. Um, Robbie Keane, he initially said he was just going to leave um, in the States, that there was no real need to drag him across the Atlantic for these games. He probably wasn't going to feature very much much um he's playing club football back in the states and doing okay there at the again so uh and kind of the impression he gave then was that he just hadn't really gotten around to phoning uh Keane and that by the time he went to have a conversation with him Keane was coming you right, know? flights are booked uh, yeah, right? and so he wasn't going to talk him out of it um and so he t- kind of thought well what harm we'll have him around the place but I, so so I don't think he was ever really planning to have him play a very major part in these champ- in these games I I I kind of agree with what you're saying, but I think it's more of a concern in in late May, early June yeah. than, than than now. I think he'll he'll you know be happy enough that uh, Keane's club uh, season is going okay so far. He does have a couple of niggling problems at 35. That's somewhat inevitable. And as you say, I think we've seen that kind of. Um, he he said a couple of times last week, O'Neill. This is that uh, if Robbie Keane and he sounded sort of quite you know uh, rueful about the whole thing that if if uh, if if Keane was 27, he'd be in a starting lineup every time. But the reality is he isn't. And um, uh, I think the latter part of that campaign, I mean, it's a campaign in which he only scored goals against Gibraltar. Um, uh, we've, we've, we've really seen a, a, a kind of relegation of his status within the squad. But, you know, his, his inspirational um, uh, characteristics and, uh, his, you know, his, his kind of um, presence within the squad is, is repeatedly emphasised by both O'Neill and, and Roy Keane. Um, they, they really big this up. And mm. so I, I think it's fairly, you know, out of the question that he wouldn't be in France. Um, Shane Duffy said after the game that he said he, he thought he was probably miles off the squad. Do you think he is? Uh, I well, I think he's obviously closer to it after the other night than he yeah. had been. I think he's he's um, he's got some problems in that. By and large, uh, I think O'Neill feels that the centre halves who have played for him over the course of the campaign have done quite well. Mark Wilson has big problems in that he has a, you know an ongoing injury, which uh, I mean, as things stand, he's he's due to sort of be back in training in a couple of weeks' time. But we'll see how that goes. He's had a really really wretched season um, uh, in terms of form as well. When he has been fit, he hasn't been playing for Stoke. A couple of times he's come in. Sometimes it hasn't gone so well for him, so you'd have to say he's slightly, slightly vulnerable. Um, Duffy's had a really good season uh, at Blackburn. He's he's done quite well in the cu- in the in the cup game that he uh, that, who was it against um, was it West Ham. Uh, he, uh, he he did he did really well. Um, he looks to have come on a lot as player. Uh, Martin O'Neill talks kind of quite warmly about him, mm. but emphasizes that he still has a long way to go. I mean, it's never that you know this is the complete defender. This is somebody who yeah. brings. Um, 
a particular set of attributes to the party. You know, it's it's very very much that uh, he sees him as a work in progress and he wants to give him some experience here. I think he's certainly kind of bumped himself up the kind of list of, of replacements. And and somebody like Richard Coe isn't playing especially well for Derby at the time. So again, that's that's an issue. Uh, Kieran Clark isn't playing at all for Villa, but he came on the other night and did did quite well. I don't I think cannot any- understand what's happening there. It's so uh, yeah. weird. I mean, when you see Clark, when you see Clark, I mean, obviously yeah. Villa, Villa are kind of a disaster, but yeah. Clark was really good. Yeah, uh, and I just can't understand how he can't get in that team. What's absolutely, yeah. It's one of the great many mysteries uh, surrounding Aston Villa at the moment. But yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was really impressed with him the other night. And mm. uh, and I think himself and Keogh did very well for us in the playoffs. So, um, uh, I, you know, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what way um, O'Neill goes with the central defensive partnership in the in the championships. I think Duffy's on the margins there. I th- You know, I think it, it could even come down to whatever way O'Neill decides to break up his, his um, division of positional players. Uh, Wilson, obviously, if he was fit, certainly brings that kind of versatility he can play as a holding midfielder if he had to he can certainly play as, as, as a fullback mm. uh, and, and that would count for a fair bit so I'd, I'd say he's still ahead of him in the pecking order you quite uh, you're quite impressed with Duffy's physical size OS. yeah <laughs> with his size with him being a big man yeah well he's enormous literally he's, he's a touch of the Richard Dunn's about him yeah absolutely I, I was I saw him in the mix zone you know and I thought this guy is actually this is the biggest player I've ever seen. This, <laughs> this is the biggest Irish player I've ever seen. Uh, and now that alone doesn't necessarily mean anything, you know. Yeah. Okay, just maybe Cascarino when he was a bit out of shape. You know? <laughs> but but when, when other centre has like Karen Clark was referring to him as the big man, and you yeah, know, it's kind of yeah. interesting when other players talk about it. But that kind of says. like you could see him on the on the set piece, like the yeah, the goal, goal in the first minute. Yeah. He was screaming at Robbie Brady. Brady seemed to be thinking about, will I give this ball to? Aidan McGeady, McGeady come over looking for a short corner, yeah. and and uh, Duffy started screaming, and Brady's like, "Oh, okay," and uh, just put it over. But if you even watch his his movement for that, you know, he kind of he did quite an intricate yeah. uh, dance, yeah. got away from the man, and then put a really good header on. And I thought, well, that's that's fantastic play. You know, it's kind of a real asset to have that in your team. Uh, not every central defender is is a threat at attacking yeah. set pieces, you know, and yeah. he obviously showed that he could do that. I think his aerial presence is really one of the big things that he does bring to the team. I don't think we really have anyone who's, who's close to him, uh, even as things stand in the squad at the moment. Um, uh, the, the other aspects of it, you know, less so, but I, I, I think that himself and Clark looked a perfectly reasonable uh, combination the other night. I mean, Randolph had very, very little to do over the course of the match when the Swiss had quite a lot of possession, and that's uh, taken anything away from the fact that it was it was a pretty, you know, low-tempo game. Yeah. I mean, what what because what you're looking at, as far as I can see, anyway, um, it seems to be really McShane and and Wilson who were the other central. Def- I mean, if we if we assume that O'Shea, Kyo, Clark don't get injured and are all going to be picked, yeah. then you've got really uh, Wilson, McShane, and Duffy for the fourth centre back. The only thing I can say there is that Wilson could also maybe be considered as a cover for the left back position yeah. because at the moment that's going to be Robbie Brady yeah. plus Stephen Ward, but maybe. Maybe Mark Wilson instead of Stephen Ward. Uh, yeah, I would see both of them go. I don't see any way Ward doesn't go. Um, he likes Ward. Uh, he's mm. played him in quite a few games. Uh, I, I think um, Ward is, if he's playing you know, with five men in midfield, uh, which is probably likely, um, 
then Ward has a pretty good chance of starting games uh, because Brady will be easier to accommodate in, in midfield. Um, I think if he plays with a, a, a more narrow uh, midfield, then then he likes the width that Brady brings to the, to, the, to the team. And Brady has once again at the weekend underlined how important his set pieces are. So he has to be sort of accommodated one way or the other. Uh, but yeah, Ward, Ward is a strange case. I think quite a few of us would have sort of, you know, written him off when, when Trapattoni washed his hands of him in the wake of uh, of year 2012. He's come back, he's battled a lot of injuries, battled kind of some kind of pretty low expectations, changed clubs a couple of times and doing well at Burnley. And uh, I think um, I think I think he's in. I mean, I'd be really surprised if he doesn't make the squad. Did anyone else catch your eye out of the players on the fringes on uh, against Switzerland? I, I always find those games must be tricky because in one sense, this is your chance. If you're yeah. Alan Judge, this is your chance to stake a claim to go come out of nowhere and play yeah. in the European Championships but you're in a match that just by its nature doesn't have the same intensity as even a yeah. normal club game. Yeah, so. I, I don't really know how you quite judge that. I mean, we were talking to Matt Doherty last week about uh, the various trials he'd had at clubs, I think Celtic and a couple of other clubs, and he was talking about um, the the tendency of people to go and just try too hard, you know, and, uh, and you kind of ended up blowing things because you're you're trying to pass maybe you shouldn't do you're not keeping things simple when you should you know uh, you're just out of kilter with what's going on around you because you're really trying hard to catch the eye and I'd imagine these friendlies are uh, you know are somewhat the same for the players who come in how do you um, how do you kind of show that you're a high intensity player who can you know really kind of put the ball put yourself about and put the ball about really when when, when the pressure's on when the pressure's not on yeah. and uh, um, I thought Alan Judge did well the other night to be honest I know I, 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 it seems to have got slightly mixed reviews, but I thought uh, particularly early on, the first 20 minutes, which were, I thought, the game's most interesting phase, you know, I, I thought both sides were really going for it until um, until Doyle got injured. Uh, I, I thought he did well. He put, put in a couple of decent crosses, um, moved about, and this is a player who wasn't playing in the position that he would like to be playing yeah, in. Yeah, I thought he did look like a, a player who wasn't really playing in his best position, to be honest. Yeah, sure. No, he was, no. He was a little, uh, just a little off it. If yeah. Trapezoni had, had picked... Uh, Alan Judge in a position like that in a game like that you might have wondered if he was sending him up to fail a little bit yeah, I, there was some suggestion afterwards that that judge had said that uh, O'Neill had said that he was playing him out there because he wanted to see what he would do off the ball. Yeah, um, well, well, I think what happened there was uh, Judge. Uh, I was there actually when Judge okay. said that, and I think that he was referring to Keane, or Keane maybe said to him, "This is when you show, uh, this is when you show the manager that he can trust you off the ball." Okay, so uh, that was sort of a maybe that was at half time or something like that. Right. But basically, basically, like obviously, you know, this isn't. Game isn't going exactly as you would have uh, as you would have dreamed yeah. it, but that doesn't mean that you can't uh, prove something about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, it. look, I mean, I, I I thought he worked quite hard. I thought within the limitations of as you, as as we say, what you can do in those sort of games, I I, I thought he did well enough. Um, and uh, he is a sort of player given his form at. Um, at Brentford, who our striking situation, you know, adds weight to the case for. Uh, I, I think that he's somebody who can play uh, under under normal circumstances as a ten, you know, just playing off a striker and uh, and his his strike rate at um, his strike rate at uh, Brentford this season suggests that he that 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 he can find the goal. Uh, that said, clearly, um, it's a big step up from where he is to what we're going to be facing in, in, in the European Championships. And I think that's an issue, not just for him, but for quite a few players through, through the kind of auditioning end of the squad. Yeah, and um, on that note... Duffy included, I should say. Yeah, yeah, and also the goalkeepers. I'd be interested to see who starts and how the team goes tomorrow night because yeah. this seems to be a developing narrative now that we have four goalkeepers 
uh, none of whom have ever have ever uh, let us down. Actually, and yeah. you'd be confident. Oh, I'd be reasonably confident with any of them. But uh, an, an aging Shea Given who hasn't played a huge amount of football, yeah. looks to be at risk in some quarters. People are saying. And the, the thing to remember with Given though is yeah. that Jack Butland, who's keeping him out of the team at Stoke, yeah. has broken his ankle now. Yeah. So Given might Get some suddenly time. be playing in the Premier League for. I mean, we don't know. You know, Given isn't in our squad at the moment. Uh, is he injured? He's still injured at the moment, yeah. yeah. He's getting back towards fitness. I mean, if he was in a position to to uh, really take advantage of Butland's injury, then it could be a kind of transformative moment for him. I mean, Butland looks like he's going to miss the European Championships and it could have been the, the you know the, the the incident that opened the door uh, perfectly for for Given. Uh, Given's not in great shape himself. Um, he's had a he's had surgery a few months back on, on this knee problem, which has been persistent. He is uh, for, he's forty. He's like forty, in a which, weeks, which yeah. yeah, which which has also to knock on it. Like if you stay fit, that's one thing. But if you get injured, then the kind of recovery from that becomes more complicated. Uh, often involves kind of side issues then, which which set you back, and that seems to have been large the case as what's happened uh, given but we can't write off the fact that when he was last fit which was back against Germany in October which was a huge game for us he was the first choice yeah. and uh, if he did get back into the Stoke team I don't quite know how that's going to pan out now over the coming weeks but if he did get into the Stoke team for the like Butlin hadn't broken his ankle yesterday I think I think given was a goner um, his his opportunities to move club and play first team football anywhere else were essentially gone um, he was going to just sit on the bench at Stoke very best case scenario was their season was completely over two or three weeks early and Mark used virtually as a personal favour to him gave him a couple of games you know um, um, most likely the very last game of the season um, <clears throat> and that I don't think would have saved him really I think you know um, uh, it, it, although Ford's you know, there's there's quite a case to be to be made for if you're being rootless about it, taking Ford out of the equation as well. He he's had a, a very frustrating season at Millwall himself. Uh, but I but I certainly think like well, Elliot we're likely to see tomorrow night start a game for I think only the second time. Um, uh, we're going to see what he does tomorrow night. Randolph seems to have really made a, a decent claim for um, yeah. without ever having a game where he was severely <laughs> under pressure and had to do it all. He kind of he kind of looks good though, padding yeah. around padding around the air. He made a good save against Bosnia. I haven't forgotten. He did. It. He did. Yeah. yeah. Say, was that in the fog? I think it was. And the other night, he yes. just looks. Uh, he just looks commanding. He just looks confident and very relaxed under pressure. Well, not under. Well, that's the wrong way. But just you know, whenever relaxed under no pressure. <laughs> yeah, relaxed <laughs> under he no does. pressure. Yeah, yeah. But top level sport. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All about. So, just a quick word, Emmett, uh, before we let you go. The other news in Irish football circles in the last few days was mm. John Giles announcing yeah. that he's finished up with Orte. That the he said he's not finished up in terms of he's not retiring sure. or anything like it. He says. Uh, but he is going to be doing his last Euros. Um, what would you look if you could look back at the impact that he's had, maybe in his career? Has he changed? I think it's TV been, uh, yeah, I think it's been a huge impact. I think if you look at at, at the sort of intelligent uh, analysis that that Giles has brought to it, and the way it's continued to compare so favourably with most of what you get on, on on the corresponding British stations, I think he's made an immense contribution. I think that you've seen uh, at, at their best in Britain what they have tried to do is to emulate what. Uh, um, what Giles has tried to do, which is <clears throat> to bring a cold eye of both analysis and explanation of what's going on, and uh, I think he's, I, I, I think he's brought a, a level of insight that very, very few, you know, high-profile, much more modern um, uh, pundits have managed to equal uh, on on Sky or or BT or BBC. Very few of them, and uh, I mean. 
then uh, there's this sort of kind of showbiz side of, of, of that whole panel and the, the, the Dunphy dynamic, which is hilarious at times. You know, there's, a, there's, there's, there's been a lot of entertainment uh, aspect to it. And, and there's the kind of cantankerousness of, of Giles at times as well. You know, if you watch him over a period of time, you know where he's coming from on certain issues. And it's hilarious to, to watch him like a dog with a bone um, continually uh, uh, have cuts at players who you're thinking, you know, oh, surely not, this guy is better than he's saying he is, you know. But for all of that, over, over a body of time, I think he's been one of the, one of the great success stories of fun, f- football punditry in these aisles, if I could say that. And uh, I doubt very much if he'll be left sitting on a couch at home when the big games are on over the coming years. All right, we'll have a look at that. Emmett, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Cheers. The training pitch is all scraped. Somebody's got to somebody's got to hold a hand up and say, "It's like training on a car park." No, 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 no regrets about it. No. As soon as you ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer. Who, John Delaney? He could have phoned me. Of course, he could have. Try my hotel room. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. As an ex-player and as an Irishman, and I mean an Irishman, uh, born and reared here. And I, I thought that was entirely to give my opinion. Swinging in the backyard, pull up in your fast car, whistling my name. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Open up a beer and you say get over here and play a video game. Why would you turn it off? I say you put on silence. You just gonna let it ring. Kiss, but it's fair All right, it's good manners. <clears throat> play a video game. If that was my team, I'd go into the dressing room and I wouldn't even mention that ball. I'd just say, why didn't someone put their head in it? France would definitely take it and Ireland never grabbed it. Usual. Usual stuff. Afraid of that next step. Mentally not strong enough. And they can complain all they want and all these players, they can complain all they want. It's not going to change. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. All right, Ken, enough talk about the Republic of Ireland um, for, the, for the day that's in it. We should talk about the, the six that got away. <laughs> six counties that got away. So the Northern Ireland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, those guys. Uh, you're, going, <laughs> you're, you're traveling to Belfast today. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to see the Northern Ireland against Slovenia. Interesting. Slovenia Monday, Slovakia Tuesday. Um, what is the, what's the purpose of two the... Two different Ireland's. Do you want to discuss the purpose of your play? Is there a specific purpose? Just well, I haven't a, been. Ahead of the Euro sample? What? I haven't been to a game at Windsor Park before, so thought I should go. See what, it's, see what it's like. I haven't seen Northern Ireland play uh, in a good few years. Uh, so, given that they are in the Euros and they're playing up the road. Any idea what to expect? I should probably have this conversation with you on Thursday when you've experienced it. Yeah, no, I, don't, I honestly don't really know. I mean, you know, everyone is very friendly now, aren't they? The Green and White Army is super friendly um, and welcoming. Yeah. Uh, few anti-IRA songs in the Northern Ireland and Wales game the other night, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm just waiting to see. I'm looking, I'm, looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to experiencing Windsor Park. All right, we'll uh, catch up with you on that on Thursday. If you missed our most recent football podcast, you may not be aware that we have a little trip of our own coming up. New York was his town, and it always would be. Lopez watching away. And it's a deep to left center. Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run by Piazza. And the Mets lead 3-2. Ahmed Ali 
in the red trunk, Joe Frazier in the green trunk. Almost ready for the fight of the century. Meant to read on the forecourt, right side from 20, jumps. Yes. Willis has hit on his first two. Behind the bag. I know we're going to win. I have that attitude. I feel that way. And it's not overconfidence thing. It's football stance. Not easy. Onto it comes Houghton. And Houghton with the shots. And it's there. What splendid sparkling opportunism for the old left peg this time. Remember Stuttgart 88. It's Ray Houghton once again. It's Italy nil. It's Ireland 1. This is incredible. Yes, with thanks to our good friends from Aer Lingus, we are indeed going to New York City for a week of podcasts from April 11th, which is very soon, actually. If uh, if you're in New York, if you want to come and see the show live, you could be uh, you can be American, Irish, Irish, American, pretty much anything, actually. Not just those two, two demographics, just if you happen to be around the area. Come along, see us live show on Wednesday, April the 13th. That's going to be in uh, where? That's Brass Monkey, of course, in the Meatpackers in Manhattan, Wednesday, April 13th. Tickets are limited there. So get emailing New York at secondcaptains.com with your name and the number of tickets you'd like, and we'll immediately put you in the draw. That's New York at secondcaptains.com if you're going to be around the Manhattan area on April 13th. They're going to be doing a week of podcasts from there as well, so we're going to have loads of great guests lined up. Should be doing some really good podcasts from New York City. Now, we haven't heard from a good old fashioned scumbag in quite a while. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just wow. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay. Ain't nobody with my clip. We don't normally clip. broadcast clip. all the, the stuff clip. that comes from scum clip. around the country. Ain't nobody fresher than my mama. Click, 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 click. Today's scumbag is Thomas Slocum. This email is sent from my iPhone. Show off. Oh, right. uh, mm. Brand new iPhone, iPhone 6, I presume. Is iPhone 6 the newest one? That's probably a newer one. Yeah. Anyway, uh, gentlemen, I greatly enjoyed your segment with David Winner about the lasting influence of Johan Cruyff, which Winner and yourself seem to credit in no uncertain terms as the basis for the current success of Barcelona and, Bar- and Bayern Munich, as well as both the Spain and German national teams. My question, though, is this. Is not Louis van Gaal's much maligned style at Man United essentially just as much an air of Cruyff as anything Guardiola has propagated in the last five years? Are United playing a bastardised version of Cruyffian football? Or are they playing Cruyffian football badly? Thanks. Love the show. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Thomas. Um, Johan Cruyff and Louis van Gaal used, didn't get on. And the criticism that and uh, usually with these things is always a personal falling out first, followed then by all the philosophical differences which are um, emphasised to kind of justify after the event the personal dislike. Um, so the criticism that Cruyff would make of Van Hal is that he was too controlling and too, um, uh, too much about the system and not enough about the individual um, ability of the player to make a difference. So Cruyff is always saying you need to run with the ball. You know, certain areas you don't, but you, players need to dribble. They need to take responsibility uh, you need to beat opponents one-on-one. Uh, and in his opinion, Van Hal was too much about uh, retaining possession, recycling the ball, trying to find another opening, but always prioritizing, you know, hanging on to the ball and moving together as a team, as opposed to maybe... I mean, Van Hal obviously was a player as well, just nothing like Cruyff. Van Hal was not a player who could dribble past guys, whereas Cruyff is a guy who could effortlessly beat men with the ball, um, 
I suppose that maybe gives you a slightly different perspective on the game. Second captains at irishtimes.com if you want to join the ranks of the scumbags, as our friend Thomas has today. Uh, I don't know if you saw again the, before we wrap up here, uh, while we're on the subject of Johan Cruyff, we did a piece with David Witter, who was excellent on Thursday, a couple of hours, very shortly after the news broke. And of course, all the d- different fo- football figures and football clubs around the world are tweeting out their condolences and um, uh, talking about how great Johan Cruyff was, how big a figure. Did you see Liverpool's tweet that they got a bit of stick for? I think so. Rest in peace, Johan Cruyff, tweeted Liverpool FC. Uh, the quote they have, so it's a picture of the Anfield uh, uh, gateway. I sat there watching the Liverpool fans and they sent shivers down my spine. A mass of 40,000 people became one force behind their team. Johan Cruyff. Yeah. This was their Johan Cruyff quote. It was a quote from Johan Cruyff about how, how great wowed he was by Anfield. I think they might have, uh, I think they might have apologised for it. Or, you know, it's, yeah, it's it was, it not, 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 it not a big deal. It's just a little bit like, you know, come on Liverpool. Yeah. This is not about you guys. It was dumb. Uh, that's pretty much it. We are recording another Bank Holiday podcast today, though it includes a really good chat with Dr. Aina Falvey about a dark few days for professional boxing. You probably have seen that Nick Blackwell, as uh, in the British boxer, was a British champion, is in an induced coma after his fight against Chris Eubank Jr. So we talked, there were a lot of strands to that that we discussed with Dr. Aina Falvey. In the meantime, Ken, thank you. Thank you too. Thanks very much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your historic Bank Holiday money, and we'll talk to you later in the week. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.